Presented by the Evangelism Department of the North American Mission Board. This is Your Church on Mission Evangelism Podcast. The podcast to help pastors be on mission in their local community. Here's your host, Joel Sutherland. Welcome to Your Church on Mission Evangelism Podcast. The Evangelism Podcast of the North American Mission Board. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. In, in our first episode, we talked about the fact that success leaves clues. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to it. To sum it up, here's my belief when it comes to evangelism, that all of us can learn from the churches where people are being saved and brought to faith in Christ. In the second episode, we talked about how hard evangelism is for the pastor. A lot pulls at you and will not get done unless the pastor leads it. So evangelism will not take place unless the pastor is working hard to make sure evangelism takes place. Now let me combine those two thoughts for a moment and give you some hope. What we're trying to do on this podcast and here in evangelism at NAM, we're trying to provide a shortcut for those two things for you. What we'll call a blueprint for evangelism in your church. When we studied the top evangelistic churches, a blueprint rose to the surface. It wasn't something someone sat in an office in a sterile environment came up for you to do. It was the simple study and observation of what top evangelistic churches were doing that any of us could replicate in whatever environment we were in. And so when we were able to get back all of that data, from about 500 top evangelistic churches in every size, category, and every context you could imagine. I lived with that data for over a year trying to see what what is all this saying to us. Now, keep in mind, we weren't looking for best practices. Nothing wrong with best practices, but best practices have a shelf life. Best practices represent what is working now in a specific context. But if you live your church life off best practices, you're going to have to perpetually stay up to date. You'll have to live standing on the evangelism aisle at Lifeway. And while there's some awesome tools there, I don't want to be a slave to those tools. So what we were looking for were what we'll call evergreen principles. Evergreen principles are principles that will always be true. They're harder to find than best practices. They're harder to get to than best practices, but they are well worth the work. And once you drill down to the evergreen principle level, you then are no longer a slave to the latest and greatest box or product that comes out. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll introduce you to our co-host. We'll find out what one top evangelistic pastor has to say about this very subject, and I'll give you the blueprint for how your church can be evangelistic. We'll be right back. I'm joined today by my co-host, Scott Smith. Scott, how important is a blueprint for a pastor? Well, it it keeps you from reinventing the wheel. We've been talking a lot about success leaves clues and standing on the shoulders of giants and just learning from those that are getting it done. And so the fact that a blueprint has emerged gives you a path to follow, and it it tells you what to focus on. Yeah, it's... I don't mean to oversimplify. It's a nice little shortcut. It is. I mean... Cheat sheet. Yeah, cheat sheet. (laughs) It keeps me from really expending energies in areas that I don't need to expend energies. And I think for a pastor, man, when it comes to evangelism, the books that are thrown at us, the the boxes that are thrown at us, the concepts and ideas, 
I, I'm speaking from experience, and you, man, you've been a part of that as well. It just buries you after a while. You're just like, I. it's almost analysis, paralysis by analysis. Right, absolutely. I, you know, I don't know which one of these I should do, and we've all been guilty, uh, or not been guilty, but suffered from this complex of I just bought into one of the boxes or books, I study it, I get ready, and I've trained my church in it, and then by the time I figure it out, it's yesterday's news, and there's a new one coming out yeah. that all my friends are talking about. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're our own worst enemy uh, when it comes to that because uh, we, as just human beings, we crave novelty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the pursuit of results, uh, novelty often gets the attention. Uh, and it's the, the novelty guy, again, that gets that writes the books and gets yep. put on the stage when we need. And that's what's distinctive about this podcast and what we're trying to accomplish here. We're getting back to what are the evergreen principles that don't change. Yep. And so, in other words, you need to learn the language before you try to master the dialect. Uh, you can do without dialect. As long mm-hmm. as you know the language and the, the language that, that undergirds all the best practices usually are the uh, evergreen principles. Yeah. And so that's a really interesting thing you said, too, because when we study the top evangelistic churches, I don't often see novelty. Mm-hmm. I see creativity. Yes. Extreme creativity. Yep. But most most of these churches are really They've zeroed in on something that works, and they're just going to ride that horse until it it dies. And when it starts faltering, they'll switch saddles. Yes. But they're not out there chasing the wind. No, definitely not. Yeah. So pastor recently, Pastor Ken Whitten, who is a national evangelism mobilizer for the North American Mission Board and the pastor of Ottawa Church in Tampa, Florida, spoke with a group of pastors that are engaged 24 workshop. And let's listen to this short clip and see what he has to say about this idea. Let let me begin by saying this. Leaders are attracted to products, but process wins the day. And, 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 I, and I've been and still am in many ways right where you are. And, and I'd, I'd go to a metro or I'd go to a conference. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm always looking for that, whatever that is in somebody else's ark that, you know, that we could bring over into the land of the, from the Philistines that we could bring over and, and, you know, that that would win the day. And, I, and there's a part of all of us as pastors, I think, you're, you're looking for that handle. You're looking for that. But what is that big idea that you can go home and start putting into practice? Because you, you're here for, a, for the same godly good reasons that, that I would come. You, you, you want to be more. You want to reach more. You want God to get more glory. It's, it's about more, but it's not about much. It's, it's about trying to make an impact because God built you for that. And I, I, as a pastor, I just want you to know I'm a pastor. I understand that. Scott, what a great statement. I love that. When Ken said it, I was just blown away. I mean, I literally laid, you know, my pen down and thought, man, that's a guy that gets it. Leaders are attracted to process products, but process wins the day. Oh man, absolutely. You know, you and I both have joked before about about the studies that have shown that buying the book releases as many endorphins as reading the thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's so right. so we fool ourselves when we buy the product thinking we've done something substantive and we haven't yet. Uh, so we go from endorphin rush to endorphin rush. We go from conference to conference, book to book, product to product, box to box. 
but process wins the day. And so what you'll find is among top evangelizing churches, as you well know, they're in love with the process. Yes, yes. And that's one of the things. It's hard work to get to the process a little bit. I mean, it's hard to figure out my systems. But once you get there, it's like being on roller skates. Yes. Once I get my process down, I'm going to move a lot faster than switching from product to product to product to product. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're never just starting over. No, no. And it's one of the things that intrigues me. I get a lot of questions around the nation about um, what is the latest uh, and greatest evangelism witnessing tool? You know, NAM has a great one. Three Circles is awesome. I encourage everybody to get it. I mean, it's we're really trying to help you have a gospel conversation. But EE still leads people to Jesus. Like right. EE still correct. Faith still works. You don't have to jump from product to product to product. Uh, now, there is something you need to keep it fresh in your church, but that doesn't mean change horses every time the wind blows. You know, that's uh, products really t- have a way of hurting us more than they help us sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's almost a letdown sometimes. It's like, man, what are you guys doing to train in personal evangelism? you got so many soul winners in your church. What's the thing you're using? Mm-hmm. Is it the three circles? And they're like, no, we've been doing faith for 20 years. <laughs> exactly. And it's almost a letdown. It's like, oh, man, really? Yeah. I, w- I was hoping for something more uh, yeah. sexy than that. But it's, it's true. They've mastered that one thing. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no one thing that is common among all the top baptizing churches in the convention. It, it's, it's that they've gotten really good at whatever they've gotten really good at around process. It's a predictable, uh, um, systematized process. Yep. And they've got the principles down. So here's what we want to do. Now, all this will be in the show notes. So we don't expect if you're listening to this, you know, to be able to keep all this. You don't even have to write what we're going to tell you next. Write it down. We're going to have write it down for you. I'd encourage you to take notes if you're in a place where you can, but I know most people listening to podcasts are doing it in their car while they're jogging or uh, something like that. But what we want to do over the next 10 or 15 minutes is to give you the blueprint as a pastor and just walk you through it and let you get a little idea of why we're calling this evergreen principles more than best practice. Now, I want to be honest, sometimes we, we're probably in between a best practice and evergreen principle, trying to refine it. But just let so you know, we're trying our best to get to evergreen principles. And it's, it's harder work than just identifying a best practice. So let's walk through this, Scott, kind of let them know what we're talking about on each one of these. And so what we found when we studied these top evangelistic churches, again, there's a ream of research that we were going through. We found Three big circles, Not we weren't trying to copy three circles evangelism tool, but we found three big rocks in evangelism that most churches were living in. Now, let me say this before we get into the, this. We rarely, if ever, found a church that was doing all of these things well. When it's all said and done, I'm going to give you about, you know, I'm going to give you three three big points with three subpoints underneath each one of them. It's simpler than that, but... I didn't find a church that's just knocking it out of the park in all, all, all three of these areas. We found, we mainly found some that led out in one or two, a couple of the big areas. But we never found a church that exist, existed outside this environment. So every type of evangelistic church that we studied is in this framework somewhere. So I'm telling you that, Pastor, because I want to alleviate the but what about nagging that goes on in your mind but what about the look? 
Every church we found is in this framework. So here it is. Number one, uh, top evangelistic churches have pastors that lead on mission. Now, Scott, I don't. I think that was true for every church we studied. That the pastor has to be the guy who intentionally leads his church missionally. Yes, in their yes. local context. Yeah, I would say in every church uh, that we've studied, uh, the pastor is never the bottleneck. If there's a no. bottleneck, it's not him. No. Matter of fact, he's the catalyst, if anything. That, that's exactly and right. And so you can trace every vein of, ev- of effective evangelistic uh, ministry strategies and attempts in that church somehow back to the heart and mind of that pastor. Yeah. And so I know there are some pastors, we hear this, I get a lot of resumes, guys send me their resumes about, you know, do if you know of a church. I'm fine with that. I, I understand um, and I'll often tell guys, hey, if you can't move the church or if it's just not going to move, go somewhere else. I'm good with that. But I have guys say things like this. I really want to pastor an evangelistic church. Well, there is no such thing without a pastor. Like if a guy's pastoring evangelistic church, he's not leaving. He'll die in that pulpit. You know, he's not going anywhere. Right. There's no group of people that, that I know of that are just highly evangelistic on their own that doesn't have a shepherd that leads them to be evangelistic. So you're not going to go find an evangelistic church. You've got to create an evangelistic church right where you are. Scott, I don't think you've ever seen in your travels as an evangelist or as a consultant, you've 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 never just probably or rarely, if ever, stumbled into this great church that didn't need a pastor but was leading people to Jesus left and right. No, not not at all. The, matter of fact, the churches that do that, that don't have a pastor, had one. They're just between. <laughs> you know, he, right. he went on to probably a bigger work because he wants to reach more people for Christ and lead another church in a more populated area, and that church still has the vestiges of his DNA. Yeah. And so they're leading people to Christ only because he discipled them to do that as their leader if they don't have a pastor that's like that now. And chances are their pulpit committee is already looking for another pastor, and the litmus test is, are you an evangelistic pastor? Because it's part of the culture. Yeah, and we have both seen this. We, we have, in matter, as a matter of fact, pastor, if you're listening to this, you've seen this too. We've seen pastors fail and fail and fail uh, evangelistically at a certain church and kind of write Ichabod on it. Then all of a sudden, a new pastor comes in, same people, same context, same building, same place, same community. And all of a sudden, they're baptizing people left and right, winning people to Jesus. We've seen the flip side of that. We've seen a highly evangelistic church where pastors left. Uh, another pastor come in and intentionally or unintentionally led them to be a different kind of church than evangelistic church. And all of a sudden, they're not baptizing people. That tells me the number one factor is a pastor that leads on mission evangelistically in the church. We saw three key areas. Here's your three subpoints where they led on mission: vision, strategy, and culture. That may not be everything, but Scott, that if you get those three things right or a couple of those things right, you're going to carry your church a long ways. Yeah, we just gave you something so important to focus on. Matter of fact, all these are important to focus on, and that's the beauty of a blueprint. You know what you focus on expands. And so it's like, um, you know, uh, like in the old strengths finder that, that we talk about sometimes, you know, maximizer is one of those strengths. A lot of guys listen to this, pastors are, are maximizers. They can take uh, what others are doing and make it even better, you know, or, or fit it to their context and make it better. 
So don't scramble around uh, staring out into the ether trying to figure out what to start with. Start with vision, mm-hmm. <laughs> strategy, mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. You know, take a half a day, drink some coffee, and pray and think about vision, strategy, and culture. And if you just yeah, if you dial those in. Uh, and you begin to communicate around around those and think around those and strategize around those, then you're you're going to be ahead of, of most pastors in the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so that helps me. You say, well, lead my church to be evangelistic, and I'm kind of like, okay, yeah. where do I start? Okay, here's where you start. Have a compelling vision, an evangelistic vision for your church. Have a simple strategy and start being the culture you want to be. Now, in the next podcast, we're going to talk about vision, and we're just going to kind of introduce you to the concept, um, not a deep dive, but you know, kind of explain what we're talking about. Uh, and then we're going to – we'll go down the list. Strategy, you know, kind of A, B, C, D, and then culture. Scott, in your opinion, mine may be different, in your opinion, where would you start with one of those three things if you're a pastor? I would I would definitely start with with vision because yeah. it's going to influence strategy and culture. Yeah, I, I think that's generally what we hear is, is if you start with vision, uh, and the the great thing about this is vision and culture you can start and go side by side, you know, for a long time. I, but I would definitely agree. So big rock number one: pastors lead on mission, and you do it with vision, strategy, and culture. Big rock number two is we see top evangelistic churches that gather on mission. Now, in general, here's what that means, that their Sunday morning experience is highly evangelistic. Scott, we, we rarely see a church that that's not the case, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's Hal Seed of New Song Community Church of Oceanside, California, that says there's still no more evangelistic time or hour of the week than 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. There's some truth to that, and, and quite frankly, Joel, Churches are gathering less now. Mm-hmm. So that being the case, the times we do gather for those churches, they're seeing it as more strategic. Uh, they have fewer opportunities during the week where they actually get together corporately, and so they're making that. They know that out of all the selective times that any uh, that a, someone who's lost may show up in church would be one of those few critical times. Mm-hmm. And so they're putting more and more emphasis on making sure the gospel is clear, making sure lost people are present, and making sure that there's an opportunity to respond. Yeah, you hit on a good point. I I don't know that it was true, but maybe when when churches met three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, maybe you had a throwaway service or two in there that you didn't have to worry about it. Hey, most churches now, especially in any kind of metro uh, area, it's a Sunday morning experience, and you know, probably doing some things on Wednesday nights, but it's not a all. It's not a large gathering on Wednesday nights. Um, that fifty-two times a year, we're going to meet on Sunday morning. Fifty-two times a year. I think as as far from God as our culture is, there is still this ingrained in our DNA, and God may have put it there that the church has answers to life's problems. You know, you know, I I I don't want to. I'm painting with a broad brush there, and so. Just about every Sunday, someone's going to show up in your church that's just that doesn't have any idea what's going on, but their life's a mess and they're looking for answers to life's problems. The Spirit of God's driven in there, and we can't afford to waste those opportunities on Sunday mornings. No, that's very likely the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, people tend not to go to church when things are going okay in their life. Mm-hmm. Lost people. It, that's just the way it is. So when they show up, something's usually broken. There's something that's prompted them to seek. And so, yeah, absolutely, you've got a divine opportunity. And I think 
top evangelistic churches, pastors who lead those churches, they know that. Right. That, that's not even a second thought. They know that. Well, and I think so. So I would argue that uh, you, there needs to be a measure of evangelism in every Sunday morning service. And then I would yes. I would make the case that there are some highlighted. Uh, you quoted Hal Seed. He said it at one of our conferences that, um, and we'll we'll play that clip one episode, I'm sure, where he said every Sunday is a good Sunday to come to Jesus, but some Sundays are better than others. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason he's saying that is they're just more likely to be lost people in a church at certain Sundays. And we know what those are. The biggest one is? Easter. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And so I know most churches let Easter come and go. I mean, you're working on that this year with some churches. You know, how do, Easter planning should start 12, 16 weeks out. Yes. Oh, without question. You, you know, because it's such a huge service, such a huge service. Uh, Christmas is another big one. Mother's Day, Mother's Day yeah. you know, maybe anything you highlight. So as I'll say this. When we did our research and, and we tried to ask every church, you, you know, as many, I mean, I polled every seminary professor of evangelism and said, what would you like to ask these churches? I, I polled every evangelism consultant around the nation, Scott, what you do, and said, what would you like to ask these churches? So we, we had a large document we were putting together. and though, But I thought, you know, we may not have asked everything. So I asked them, what is the most evangelistic thing you do? And over and over in an open dialogue box, they just said, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday morning. It was just that evident. And so they're leveraging Sundays for the gospel. We see three things emerge from that. Number one, they were evangelistic on Sunday mornings. Number two, they were expectant. God and guest is what we say. They a high emphasis on spiritual awakening and, and a high emphasis on uh, hospitality, guest reception. And number three, they were engaging in their in the music and in the message. Evangelistic, expectant, and engaging. Scott, you've dealt with this for years. Uh, let's just pull one out. For example, the emphasis on um, the guest experience. How important have you noticed that is in top evangelistic churches? They all are extremely guest friendly. They they make their guests feel like royalty from the time they get out of the car. Because I think that uh, you know one of the things that top evangelistic pastors understand is they have become somewhat of a missiologist and understand how their prospects that they're trying to reach think in their community. And they know that most people are deciding within six to 10 minutes of getting out of the car in the parking lot Mm -hmm. as to whether or not they're even going to come back. And Mm -hmm. studies show this is true over and over and over again. So those first six to 10 minutes are critical and uh, pastors are aware of that. So their signage reflects that. Their greeter team reflects that. The positioning of their welcome uh, area and what's on the welcome at the welcome station reflects that. Uh, how how people transition, how they how guests get transitioned from the parking lot uh, to drop their children off. I mean, everything is covered from the guest experience standpoint because they understand that everything is building up to the the crescendo, the punchline, the finish line of the entire service, which is an invitation to come to Christ. Yep. And so they make sure that they grease the skids, as it were, to that point, and there's no friction, is what I like to call it, between the parking lot and that gospel invitation. Yeah, they're, they're basically trying to hand-walk people far from God to the cross. Absolutely. And they just don't want to leave it up to chance. And so, um, well, well said. So we see Big Rock, pastors leading on mission, Big Rock, Churches gathering on mission. Third, Big Rock 
members living on mission. One of the things we discover in these churches is that they're really trying to figure out, and I would say, Scott, this is a tension. This is, um, they're trying to make this work, right? We used to refer to as missionary as someone who got on a boat and went overseas. And really, that that's horrible language. That's horrible nomenclature because here's, you're a missionary no matter where you are. You're a missionary if you're a believer. You're a missionary in your office. You're a missionary in your plant, in your factory. You're a missionary in your community. Um, so really, top evangelistic churches are trying to get their members to see themselves as missionaries, and they're trying to resource those members to live on mission. Scott, how, how would that change the <laughs> North America if members – if 16 million Southern Baptists saw themselves as missionaries. Yeah, absolutely. It would be a sweeping sea change uh, because we, the vast majority of people who are attending Southern Baptist churches right now, they won't admit this, but they see themselves as consumers. Mm. And so they evaluate everything in the church based on how it's impacting them as a consumer. And we're moving out of that now. Now, I think the millennials have caught a little bit more of a, of a service sacrifice vision that's that's a little more innately missional. Yeah, I'm talking about even 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 non-Christian millennials yeah. have a missional wiring in them. That's why they'll sign up to go over, you know, overseas and do some charity work in a third world country with with no biblical framework at all mm-hmm. because they're just a little more wired that way. But I think the vast majority of those that are in our churches now are not wired that way uh, by nature because of the consumerism that that came into the church you know, over the last 30 years. So um, as a result of that, we're having to recondition our people through, again, biblical preaching. And this is what the top evangelistic pastors do. They, they're they reframing the role of the believer in their mm-hmm. context, and they're recasting it as missional and the role of every believer as missionary. So, so they're talking a lot more, uh, almost without exception, in the top baptizing churches as they're talking to their people as missionaries and that they are a sent people. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And so we see, again, the three subpoints. So under that, uh, uh, three subpoints under that, they're, they're teaching their members to seek opportunities to leverage their lives for the gospel right where they are. They're training their members how to share their faith. And really more, we're moving away from presentations and more into how to have a conversation about the gospel. And then we're seeing them serve their community in a big way. And Scott, you've already mentioned it. With millennials, they want to get – they're kind of a blessed generation. They've never done without. And there's a – I think there's a – when you talk to millennials, there's almost an inherent guilt of I need to give back into this community and, and, and you know, into this uh, area. And churches are tapping into that, and they're becoming the vehicle by which the whole community – serves through the church. Yeah, absolutely. There are churches that are creating now evangelism strategy around serving, not making the target of those receiving the service the evangelistic target, but those that are being recruited to serve in the ministry. So what's happening is uh, there are some there are churches that are seeing a lot of lost people sign up for to be on the serving end. Mm-hmm. And they receive and hear the gospel uh, by just serving alongside other believers. Yeah, John Metter, who is the pastors' conference president at the Southern Baptist Convention in 2016, pastors First Baptist Church Eulis has a huge uh, serving ministry called Six Stones, and um, 
we'll have him on sometimes. But he, he talked about, I think it's Home Depot, I think it's Home Depot in his area, now requires all of their employees to give volunteer hours through that ministry uh, that his church has. And so, you know, that gives you an unprecedented opportunity to witness to the people who are standing along beside you, uh, standing beside you doing the work of evangelism. So there it is. There's the blueprint. Pastors leading on mission, churches gathering on mission, members living on mission. That is come and see evangelism. That is go and tell evangelism. That is pastoral leadership. Scott, that blueprint is about as evergreen as we can get it, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Let's just walk through that again, and it is there in the show notes. Pastors lead on mission, vision, strategy, culture. Churches gather on mission, evangelistic, expectant, and engaging. Members live on mission, seeking, sharing, and serving. Great blueprint. Yep. As we wrap up today, be sure and check out the blog, nam.net slash your church on mission. You'll find lots of resources there to help you with evangelism. And we are adding to it every week. And know we'd love to answer any questions you may have about evangelism. Send us an email to evangelism at nam.net, and we'll answer your questions from episode to episode. Pastor, that's your blueprint for an evangelistic church. Stay tuned, and we'll help you implement the plan right where you are. Thanks for listening to Your Church on Mission Evangelism Podcast. To find out more about leading your church on mission, be sure and check out the blog, www.namb.net forward slash Your Church on Mission. To send in a comment or question, email it to evangelism at namb.net.